Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Whitestone. Um, if you need a Bible or a pen, I, you will please uh, raise your hand or, um, yeah, a finger uh, for a pen and in your hand for a Bible, and the ushers will be coming by to, to give that to you. But my name is Josh Watson. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Whitestone. Um, and before I get started, I actually just wanted to share uh, a few words regarding what's going on in, in Israel. I know that a lot of us have very heavy hearts um, and concern with all that we're seeing and all that we're hearing uh, that's taking place. And if you're aware of the details of what took place on October 7th, uh, you know that what happened is, I mean, it's on a level of horror beyond anything imaginable. Uh, it's just an evil that's hard to fathom. But it's not only that. Uh, it's that we also can see things really starting to escalate and, and to develop and intensify over in that region of the world uh, in the Middle East, and very rapidly, intensifying daily. And it be, can be troubling because, as Christians, we long for peace, right? Uh, we long for peace. We long to live in a world where there's, where there's peace um, and where the innocent are protected on all sides. Um, unfortunately, as is very evident, uh, not all people are for peace. And the Bible prophesies this. In, in Psalm 120, we read in verses 6 and 7, it says, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. There's any passage that is fulfilled uh, by the recent events, um, this is it. Uh, Israel as a nation does seek to live in peace, uh, but its neighbors often do not. But at the same time, we know that God will still carry out uh, his plans for Israel to restore its land, uh, to establish its eternal king, and as well to give Israel a new heart to serve him and to accept Yeshua as their Messiah. So while we are saddened, for sure, um, at what's happened, we can also look outside the current events to know that God's plan and his promises for Israel will be fulfilled no matter what. But also his plan and his promises for us, the church, the body of Christ, will also be fulfilled. And that's what we pray. That's what we hope, that during this crisis, God is drawing people to him from every tribe, every, every nation um, in the Middle East to, to be a part of his family, to be a part of his eternal kingdom. Um, and so with those thoughts in mind, let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Lord, we thank you that we can stand with confidence in the fact, unchanging and unwavering fact, that you are in control. Uh, you always are. And what appears to us as humans, limited within time as chaos and, and co confusing to us and things being inexplainable and out of, out of order um, and troubling. Lord, we know and can hold confidently to the truth uh, that you are sovereign over all and that uh, your will will always be 
accomplished. And Lord, may we continue uh, to draw close to you uh, to seek the peace of Jerusalem, to seek the, the peace of, of your people, and that you would draw many to you and bring many into your fold through these uh, events. Lord, we, we look to you. May we, our eyes always be kept on you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, as you might know, Luke is in the middle of a series on the compassion of God, uh, which I also want to speak on this morning. But I thought I'd start off with just a really quick intro uh, of myself because I know that there are many of you that I personally don't know yet. Um, so I grew up in Florida near Orlando, the land that is always hot and humid, always except January maybe, it's not too bad, it's nice. It's basically the opposite of Wisconsin. Uh, and my kids complain when it's sunny outside in 68. <laughs> Dad, it's so hot. And that, liter that literally happened this summer. But they go out in t-shirts when it's in the 30s, so I guess it evens out. But in Florida, my parents served with a missions organization called New Tribes Mission. Um, it's today called Ethnos 360. They train and they send missionaries out uh, to very remote tribal uh, regions and parts of the world. So basically that was my childhood, heat and missionaries, but also sports. Love, love sports, like many of you. Uh, of course, I realize that in this room, most of the people here are, are probably Packer fans Maybe a few Bear fans out there scattered, like Luke. But let's be honest, either way, it's not looking good. <laughs> That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join Dolphin Nation. <laughs> we have something good going this year, finally. And uh, we, we accept all newcomers, no questions asked. Anyway, when I was 14, my dad was asked to take up a position, part of New Tribes, at the aviation branch in southern Arizona, uh, right basically on the border of, of Mexico. So that's where I went to high school, um, learned a few Spanish words, words you're not allowed to say. <laughs> I then attended the Master's College, which today is the Master's University uh, in Southern California, uh, in order to study the Bible back when California sounded like a fun place to go. Uh, but from there, I went on to India as a missionary for seven years, and that's where I served at a Christian school, at a, a hospital, as well as a children's center. It was all under this organization called Project India. And then finally, I ended up here in Wisconsin in 2006, um, and then came on staff here at Whitestone in 2007, and then five years later, met and married my wife, Karina, and we now have four children. So that's a quick version of how I got here. Um, of course, my sister also married the senior pastor here, so <laughs> that played a part as well. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, Luke is currently on a series on the compassion of God. Or another way to put it, which I want to put it this morning, is the infinite mercy of God. The infinite mercy. Infinite because the source, God, is infinite. Uh, his mercy not only goes deeper into our unworthiness uh, and our pitiful condition, 
than we can imagine, but there's also no limit as to what he will offer us in his kindness. Uh, That is, it's infinite in who he's merciful to and also infinite in what he offers in that mercy to us. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 3, the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So that's what I want to look at today, the the compassion or the mercy of God at its greatest, at its highest measure, at its uh, fullest scope. You know, sort of like the horizon where you, the point which you can see the very, very furthest, but yet you know there's always more. And a great passage that talks about this is Ephesians 2. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you can turn in them to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And we're going to spend our time there and look through the first few verses uh, of that chapter. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll start with verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So right at the start, right to the point, you were dead. You were dead. I mean, just now I gave you one version of my life's history, basically my version, short version of of my history, and I told you where I grew up, you know, uh, what I enjoyed, where I studied, where I've lived, But here you see God takes a little bit of a a different approach to our history and telling the history. He says, he sums it up, you were dead. That's his version. In God's sight, while all that other stuff was going on in our life, in our past, you know, our hobbies, uh, schooling, graduation, you know, first job, stuff that we found interesting, this is the really the one thing that truly mattered. While all those other things were going on, at that time, many of us were dead. At that time in our life, we were dead spiritually, cut off from God with no hope, headed to an eternal punishment. I mean, that's a pretty heavy reality. And even the order of it all is not what you would expect, right? Because it says you were dead. You were dead. You know, for us, that, wait, what? Doesn't death come at the end? Isn't it the last thing in life that happens? You first have life, then you have death. You know, if any of us, if you were to write a biography on someone's life, you start off by telling all the stuff that they did, all the stuff that they accomplished throughout their, you know, 40, 60, 80 years or whatever of their life. And then once all that's done, at the very end, you finish up the book with telling about how they died and about their death. Death always comes at the end. However, in the way that God looks at the story of human life, death comes before life. Death comes before life. Death happens right at the beginning, right at the start for all of us. That's why it says here that you were dead. And, it's, and that's, that word is extremely key, dead, not handicapped. Not sick, not injured, uh, not hospitalized, not paralyzed, dead. Because 
those who are handicapped still have the capacity to do many things. Very much so. Uh, maybe not a, a lot in all cases, but they can do things very, uh, to, to help themselves. So can the injured. So can the sick. Um, they, can, they can do and move and accomplish things. Obviously, they're not as healthy, but at least they're alive. They're functioning. Uh, they have capabilities. Even the paralyzed. Have you ever heard of Johnny Erickson Tata? Incredible life, Johnny Erickson Tata. She was paralyzed as a teenager from a swimming, a diving accident. And from that point in her very young life, she was paralyzed from the shoulders down. Completely paralyzed. But still, in the course of her life, she accomplished, has accomplished some pretty amazing things. She's an artist. Think about that. Paralyzed. She's an artist, an author. She started a ministry. She's accomplished quite a bit. Or maybe you're more familiar with the name Helen Keller. Most of us grew up learning about her in school. Also very handicapped, born deaf, blind, of course, mute. But she got a degree. She wrote 12 books. She started a ministry. She was a public speaker, even. You can do those kind of things, even if you are sick or you're injured or you're handicapped, but not when you're dead. Not when you're dead. If you're dead, it's over. No human has ever accomplished anything while being dead. And spiritually, that was our condition. That was our condition. That's where we were. Our decision to sin against God and our many decisions to sin against him killed us. It cut us off from God forever. Here's one way to picture it. Have you ever heard of the RIP bullet? It's an interesting name for a bullet, but it doesn't stand for rest in peace. It stands for radically invasive projectile. It opens nine separate wound channels. It's considered the deadliest bullet out there. Nine separate wound channels. So if one, just one bullet is used, one round can take out all a person's vital organs. Just a single bullet is all that you need. That's like one sin in our life. That's like one sin. One trespass against an infinitely holy God. It means permanent spiritual death. A shattered, several, severed relationship with God that leads to an endless separation from him in darkness. That's the damage that one sin can do. But again, we haven't committed just one sin. We've committed millions, millions of offenses against an infinitely holy God. It says in this passage that we once walked we once walked in these transgressions and sins. We walked in them. How many of you have ever counted your steps or are counting your steps or used some device, you know, a Fitbit, a watch, or something of that nature? How, what is the normally recommended number of steps to take, you should take in a single day? 10,000. 10,000. I have never had one, but it sounds like a very... Smart thing to do, but ten, I've heard that 10,000 steps every day. 
But think about that. 10,000 steps in a day. And scripture compares our sins to this, to the steps that we take walking. Every sin we commit, it's like another round of this RIP bullet in us. Not sure I would want to see a picture of a person who has a million rounds, a thousand rounds of this bullet in them. But that was you. That was me. That's reality. That was us. That's how helpless we were. That's the picture. That's the picture. That's what God is telling us in Ephesians 2. It says, at that time, you and I, in verse 2, were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was us. We were content to follow the course of this world like everyone else. You know, just doing what everyone else is doing, doing what, you know, what everyone else around us is doing. We were living to impress the world, not God. We were living to look like the world, not God. And we were living to inherit the world, not God. That's what it means to follow the course of the world, to do things, to do everything just the way that everyone else, the way that the world is doing it, to be like the world. In fact, it says at that time that we were literally following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. We were following him because there was someone leading all of us and is today leading the course of this world. Whether we knew it or not, that's who we were following. Like sheep that's at the very back of the flock. You ever seen a picture of that? where you have this huge flock that's following the, the shepherd, and then you look at it and you realize that the sheep in the very back are just following the sheep in front of them. They can't even see the leader way up at the front. They don't even know who's up there leading them. They're just following the sheep in front of them. That was you and me, following our friends, following culture, following the world, not knowing that it was really Satan up at the front. In fact, it says, it even goes further in this passage. It says that we were even a part of his family. We were, it calls us sons of disobedience. And this goes right along with what Jesus himself says in John 8, 44, where he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So Satan spiritually was our father. That's what it means to be spiritually dead, that you were following Satan as your father. That was our spiritual condition. That's it. We were dead. And as a result, spiritually, we were dead. And as a result, here's what it looked like in the physical realm. It says, I think verse three, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, normally I'm not a huge movie guy, um, unless maybe it's a true, based on a true story, a true story, or, or a documentary, um, or something on time travel. I love those. <laughs> but back when 
uh, Disney was putting out some pretty decent films. There was one I liked. It was called The Emperor's New Groove. You guys remember that one? I always liked that one. And, and one of my favorite parts is when Kronk is stuck in this dilemma. He doesn't know what to do. And he has a shoulder angel pop up and then a shoulder devil pop up. And of course, they start giving him advice that's conflicting. Um, one saying to do one thing, one saying to do the other. Very poor logic behind them. But it's a pretty hilarious exchange. Um, but even if you haven't seen that film, you know what I'm talking about. This idea of having an angel on one shoulder, a devil on the other. One telling you to do one thing, one telling you to do the other. But it's interesting, what it's explaining here in Ephesians 2 is that when we were dead in our transgressions, it wasn't like that at all. Instead of there being a devil on one side and an angel on the other, we had a devils on both sides. On both sides. Your body and your mind were both the, the vehicle of the channel of the devil telling you to disobey God. So when your body wanted to do something, your mind would say, yes, there's no reason not to. It makes sense. If everyone else is, why not you? It's logical. And when your mind wanted to do something, your body said, let's go. My feet are already moving. I'm all in. Just point me in the right direction. We were carrying out the desires of both the body and the mind. That's what things were like before we were saved. No conflict, but in the worst way. And we all once lived just like this. As it says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's what it says, passions of our flesh. We wanted pleasure. We wanted possessions. And we wanted praise. Pleasure, possessions, and praise. That is, we wanted to feel good. We wanted to have good, and we wanted to look good. Or, as the Bible describes it in 1 John 2.16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when we seek these things, pleasure, possessions, and praise from the world, instead of seeking them from God, we end up living in the passions of our flesh. And as a result, the rest of verse 3, it says, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. This goes perfectly with what we already mentioned that Jesus says, that you are of, of your father, the devil. Because of our sin nature, the devil was our father. And if that's the case, if that is the case, then naturally we are set to inherit what our father possesses, right? That's the way it works. The father passes down his inheritance to his child. Okay? So what does the devil possess? Wrath. God's wrath. God's eternal wrath. That's it. That's all Satan has and can offer us because that's all, you know, that's all he himself has to look forward to. An eternity of separation from God and his goodness, an eternal sentence of God's wrath. So when you step back from all this and you look at what this passage is saying, what a terrible 
miserable condition that we were all in. And maybe some are still in today. Children of wrath. But here's the good news. Here's the good, everything changes in verse four. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So we were children of wrath. We were dead in our sins, destined for eternal punishment, but God, God changes everything. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And I love the fact that this verse not only says being rich in mercy, but also because of the great love with which he loved us. Because it's easy for us to think, we naturally think, well, if God is rich in mercy, since God is so rich in mercy, doesn't that mean that he can show mercy towards us without it really costing him anything? Because he has so much. He's so rich in mercy. So he has enough to go around, right? Probably doesn't even feel a pinch. Completely wrong. Absolutely wrong. It costs him everything. That's why it also says, and because of his great love. It's like this. Imagine that there was once a man who was very rich, uh, very wealthy, and possesses, let's say, the equivalent of $25 million. And a thief attacks him and leaves him for dead. But somehow, the rich man survives and learns that the guy who attacked him was arrested and that his bail was set at $5,000. However, according to the justice system there at the time, he could be released and all charges dropped for $25 million. So just imagine how shocking it would be if in real life this took place, that if that rich man, out of great love for this criminal, decided not just to pay the $5,000 bail, because, you know, that's nothing to him, he's so rich, but instead he empties all his accounts. And he pays the $25 million in order to set the man, the criminal, completely free. The same criminal who attacked and tried to kill him. That's what God does for us. That's what God does for us. He empties all his accounts. He paid everything he had to set us free. He's rich in mercy, but also great in love. And so he gave up what was infinitely valuable to him, his own son, so that he could show mercy towards us. That's the infinite mercy, the infinite compassion of God. You know, remember, you remember what it said in verse one? In verse one, it says that we, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And now in verse five, it says, even when you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Alive together with Christ. I don't know, have you ever, have you ever thought about how cool it would have been to have been one of the people present when Jesus raised someone from the dead. To be able to witness that with your own eyes, how cool that would be. Especially, you know, like, especially let's say the, the, 
the res- raising up Lazarus. I mean, a man who has been dead for four days, you're standing there in the crowd, you're watching this, and he comes, Jesus calls, and he comes out of the tomb. How incredible to be able to witness something like that. To watch someone being raised from the dead. But one thing that we have to realize is that what God does for us personally, individually, is infinitely greater than what he did for Lazarus. Because in the end, all that Jesus did for Lazarus was to add a few more earthly years to his life here. But what God does for us is that he adds an eternity of heavenly years to us. He made you alive together with Christ, which means that as surely as, God, as Christ is pleasing to God, you are now pleasing to God. As surely as Christ will live forever in heaven, you will also live in heaven forever because it says we have been made alive together with Christ. It's the greatest act of mercy imaginable, something only he could do, only he, God can do. It's a supernatural act. That's why it says at the very end of verse five, it adds on, by grace you have been saved because it's an act of God entirely, 100%. It's supernatural. Because remember, we were dead, not injured, not sick, not paralyzed, dead. So there was nothing we could do to help ourselves, to contribute to our own salvation. It's basically kind of like a group of sailors on a ship who throw a dead body out into the water and then see if that body will swim back to save itself. It's not going to happen. Dead people cannot save themselves. It requires something supernatural. That's what saving grace is. In a and it's entirely an act of God. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, he made you alive together with Christ. And that's, that's really the message that I, I wanted to share this morning. That we were dead. Helpless. Completely hopeless. Full of sin. Following Satan, our father. Set to inherit eternal wrath. But God, rich in mercy, great in his love, he made us alive together with Christ. This is, but this is an offer. Okay? It is an offer that we must accept. And I know that many here today have accepted this. Wonderful gift. But very likely there are people here also that have not yet accepted this incredible offer. And so if that is you, if you feel this morning this drawing from God, that's his grace. That's his grace pulling on you towards him. And I would say, don't wait any longer. He wants to make you alive together with Christ. Just as it says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you are already his child this morning and you've already tasted 
and are experiencing, and even this morning, maybe with his help, getting a fresh look at his infinite mercy, live for him. Live for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can never fully grasp, we can never entirely comprehend and fathom this infinite mercy and love for us that you have. The sacrifice of your son, the separation from him, the offering to take us from having offended you over and over and over and being completely helpless and entirely incapable of doing anything to improve our spiritual condition and our eternal condition, Lord, you stepped in with riches of mercy and greatness of love. We thank you so much. Lord, please, I pray, help us again today to remember what you have done and how great it is and how short our days on this earth are, how quickly they are passing. And this is our opportunity to live for you. This is our opportunity to live by faith and to offer back to you a life of sacrifice. Lord, we thank you so much for your infinite mercy toward us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you would like prayer uh, for anything we have on both sides up here at the front, uh, those who would like to pray with you, so please do come forward. Have a wonderful week.